I'll give you a little context on this when we get to the sermon, but for right now, a story about wilderness and 40 days fasting and temptation. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. That is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. All right, actually, before we get to the sermon, we're going to have the pre-sermon, which is a little description of this year's Lenten offering. So the tradition dating back to Cross of Life days is that the Lenten offering is always designated to one of our 12 primary mission partners for some particular special need at one of those places. This year it's the Bread of Healing Clinic uh, in Milwaukee. My wife works at the Bread of Healing Clinic, so I'm totally biased. I'm just making that disclaimer in advance. But I'm also totally committed to what they do. Uh, doesn't mean you have to be committed to it, though. Uh, however, if you do choose to give to the appeal this year, I figured you should have a little explanation of what it is you'd give to uh, this Lent. So uh, Bread of Healing in general is a clinic that sees uh, uh, about 1,500 patients uh, a year, and uh, like 90% of them fall into the range of 100% to 250% of the federal poverty level for their income. In other words, they work, uh, but they make somewhere between eleven dollars and $26,000 a year. And as a result, either they... Uh, uh, they, they can potentially qualify for insurance, but frequently if they have any ongoing conditions, uh, they cannot uh, easily pay for the co-pays and deductibles that are part of it. And so care at the free clinic uh, becomes important. So the clinic kind of covers a full range of medical things. What do you think of all the things in kind of the larger medical health field? What do you think uh, in, in low-income areas is consistently one of the hardest things for people to access? If you've read your bulletin, you know the answer to this. It would be dental. Dental is just for all sorts of reasons. It's just extraordinarily hard and or expensive for people to access. So uh, when Bread of Healing started doing dental care in 2013, they established something called the Tooth Fairy Fund, which is where this year's appeal goes to. And, and I'll pause a little bit because we got a couple slides on this. Uh, but the first thing I should ask you is, uh, or I should tell you that there's this measure of dental health called, uh, I think it's the, uh, oh, now I can't, DMF, which is decayed, um, missing, or filled. 
So your teeth are either decayed, uh, missing, or filled. Uh, the average U.S. adult, their measure on that scale is 1.1 to 2.6. So you have 1.1 to 2.6 teeth that are decayed, missing, or filled. What do you think the average for patients is at Bread of Healing Clinic? It's going to be a little higher, right? So now we get to the slideshow, Barb. You can. Uh, so uh, here's an x-ray. If you don't like x-rays, you can look away. So here's an x-ray of, uh, of one of their patients at the clinic. Next slide. Here's an unhealthy mouth. Next slide. Remember, here's a healthy mouth. Next slide. An unhealthy mouth. Next slide. Remember, that's what a healthy mouth looks like. Next slide. An unhealthy mouth. Next slide. You can just read that. This slide goes back to 2014. So at that point, they had less than 10 patients who had what could be considered a healthy mouth. The vast majority had unhealthy situations. And then last slide here. Um, they were, they, even they were surprised. They, they expected to see a lot. They didn't expect that virtually everyone they saw would have so much work to do. So if the average is 1.1 to 2.6, uh, the average for patients at the clinic is 12. So how many teeth, by the way, do you have in your adult mouth? Technically 32, but if you have the four wisdom teeth out, then you're down to 28. Half of 28 would be 14. If 12 is your number, it means you know, essentially half of your mouth is affected. Uh, so they created the Tooth Fairy Fund for either people who had complicated extractions or for bridge work or for dentures, which now gets us to this next slide. Uh, so we have uh, permission from this person to use this. She was the very first person who got money from the Tooth Fairy Fund back in 2013. And her little situation is she came into the clinic and for a couple minutes they thought she had like a neurological issue because her speech was so garbled. But, but then they figured out that she wore dentures, so that would be two pieces, but when she took them out, they were in four pieces. They had both broken. Um, but she was embarrassed to go out and, and not have her teeth in, embarrassed to smile. Um, it was difficult for her to eat, and she had other health issues as a result. Anyhow, she saved $234. The Tooth Fairy Fund contributed $234, and she got new dentures. And this is a picture from the day she got them. And the cool thing is, you can see her big, bright smile. And what can't you see? You can't see her eyes. She has got such a great smile that her eyes are virtually closed. And the coolest thing of all, and this is actually not an unusual outcome, um, since this time, with better health, uh, with a little uh, more self-confidence in her smile, got a better job that has health insurance connected with it. She doesn't need to come to the Bread of Healing Clinic anymore. And that doesn't always happen, but that happens more than you might think. Um, so again, you don't have to own this, uh, this Lent, but if you choose to own it, uh, that's where this year's Lenten appeal goes uh, to the Tooth Fairy Fund for people at the Bread of Healing Clinic. And actually, that will be relevant, ultimately, to where the sermon is going. So any questions about that? Talk to me afterwards if you have any. Uh, now, next slide. Here's the start of the sermon. So these are three women down in El Salvador who were just at the um, uh, uh, Mission of Healing Clinic down there that uh, uh, the Unity was a part of. And the person in the middle is the person I want you to notice. Her name is Anna. She's a pig, <coughs> excuse me, what a cough. She is a pig farmer. And the only reason she's a pig farmer is because our congregation and uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Catholic Church partner with uh, this community in El Salvador, and we created a micro-loan fund. 
And Anna is from a, a family in the rural community that we relate to that's, that's really poor even by Salvadoran standards. But they're good farmers, but they were barely getting by. Uh, literally from harvest to harvest, and if there was bad weather, they were in big trouble. But the microloan allowed them to take out a loan and buy one pig. And uh, they successfully raised that one pig, got that pig to market, sold it, made a profit. How many pigs do you think they're raising now? Don't go crazy. I mean, it's not like hundreds. But now they've got four. And uh, the cool thing is not only are they raising four pigs, but they also have created an additional side business of drying the manure and selling that as a fuel source, and that's actually working as well. Um, so an example of what happens all the time in a place like El Salvador is people are super capable, but I mean, they literally have no resources at all. And uh, with these simple loans that, that uh, we've created, uh, suddenly they're able to use their capabilities to farm and do just fine. How many people from this congregation do you think spend more than uh, 10 hours a year working with one of our servant partners? 20, 40, 60? I didn't do an official thing, but it, uh, I think the number, the total that I came up with was about 95 spend more than 10 hours a year. And then there are uh, you know, probably several hundred of us uh, that spend at least an hour or two working with one of our servant partners. That's a big investment by our congregation, and we invest a lot of money in ministries beyond ourselves. There are two things I want you to think about when you think about those ministries, because they, they basically fall, we have 12 partners, but they fall into basically two categories. One is like our involvement with the food pantry. One's your mitten tree that you do back here. One will be the food pack that's happening here in six days. Raise your hand if you're all in favor of the food pack. I'm hoping everybody's hand is up for that. Um, if you haven't signed up yet, we really need people from like noon to five o'clock to be a part of that next week. Um, but those are all parts of ministries which I would call ministries of grace. In other words, if you're in the position in life where, where you don't know where your next meal is coming from or where tomorrow's food is coming from, if you live in Wisconsin in the winter and you don't have mittens or a hat, you're not really going to be able to think about much else other than finding the food or finding the cover that you need. And, and we and all the other organizations around that provide food, that provide uh, shelter or clothing to people when they desperately need it, that is an amazing act of grace. It saves lives. It is always important. It's consumable, though, right? In other words, if you get the food for the week to come, you're probably going to need it then at another point in the future. The mittens eventually wear out. Uh, in other words, the ministries of grace maintain people, but they don't necessarily allow people to take the next step to get past whatever it is that holds them down or pushes them back. That takes a different level of investment, and financially, sometimes it's capital, right? In other words, you just need a little loan to get a little bit further. Uh, you just need to have help buying your dentures so that then you're not afraid to smile when you go in for the job interview that you're going for. Uh, one of the coolest things we do is extend stays at Genesis House and Serenity Inn. Um, if you're in recovery 
uh, and, and you leave one of those places uh, after a month or two, you'll maybe, maybe 10% of the people will stay in long-term recovery. If they can stay for four or five months, you, you double uh, that rate of success. It's, it's just amazing, but you have to invest in it. And, and so we have two types of ministries that we do here. One that's grace that just meets uh, ongoing needs, and, and one that's kind of an investment in, in people that hopefully allows them to take a step or two or three to get from one pig to four is, is an awesome thing. Now, that has a lot, I think, to do with today's gospel lesson. So go back to that story about the temptation. You should know something really important about the context in that story. The story that comes before it is Jesus' baptism. The story that comes, and we did that in Epiphany, by the way. And the story that comes after it is when Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and gets thrown out. We also did that story in Epiphany. Now here at the start of Lent, we come to the story that's in the middle, which is Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. What's interesting about that in, in Luke's gospel is that with each one of those three stories, Luke goes out of his way to pause and say, and the Holy Spirit filled Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon him. There was an extra measure of God for Jesus in those moments of baptism, of temptation, and then, maybe hardest of all, going to his hometown where people didn't want to hear what he had to say. They wanted miracles, but they didn't want uh, the challenging teaching that he was to lay before them. In each of those cases, Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you, when you hear the word wilderness in English, uh, think that that's a, that's a good thing? The wilderness is a beautiful place where you're out in nature and God's beautiful creation, as opposed to the wilderness is where a bear is going to eat me tomorrow. How many of you think the word wilderness is a good thing? Probably most people do. Yeah, me too. It's good you think of it as a good thing. The bear is not going to get you. Um, well, don't cover yourself in honey, but in general, the bear is not going to get you. Uh, so uh, the wilderness in the Bible actually is a good thing. It's where, uh, where your defenses are down and, and where you perhaps uh, have occasion to look at yourself honestly and where the Spirit of God, therefore, uh, is able to speak with you honestly. Uh, good things happen to people in the wilderness if they don't get in the way. And Jesus is there how many days? He's there 40 days. And in the Bible, 40 days is symbolic for a long time, but not just a long time, a long time that ends with some sort of conf confrontation or transformation of your faith. So Jesus is a long time in the wilderness to, in a sense, have some transformation of his faith in this wilderness where God approaches us and teaches us. So all of that's going on. Oh, and by the way, he's fasting for 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, the, 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 the devil... Uh, begins to tempt him, and in order, what are the temptations? Something material, you're hungry, so turn the stone into bread, followed by, you get to run the world, Jesus. I'll give you all the kingdoms, and you can be CEO of everything. It'll be cool. And then the last temptation is what? It's kind of the most insidious one, because it's throw yourself off the temple. 
which I think the temptation there is to be cynical about God. In other words, make God do something for you that God should never have had to have done. Don't put God in a position where God has to bail you out because you just decided to go ahead and do it. And so those three temptations get placed before Jesus, and he stops each of them with what? Words from the Hebrew scriptures, from his own Jewish tradition. Now, one of the things in Sunday school this morning that's kind of cool is, is the kids are being reminded, and actually, wow, this is actually kind of cool for the adults, that just think, Jesus learned these things. So the very last things he says is, don't put the Lord your God to the test, which just happens to be Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You just learned that. But he learned that. Isn't that cool? I mean, we get to learn the exact same things that Jesus learned in Sabbath school. We learn them still in Sunday school and in church, uh, which I think is kind of a cool thing. But the other thing about this story is what? He is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit before any of this happens. If you're filled with good stuff, in theory, when you think about it, can bad stuff get in? Not easily, right? I mean, and, and did, did he have to ask for the Holy Spirit? He didn't. It, it's passive voice. He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives it to him. God fills him with it. He didn't have to ask for it. You don't have to ask for it. So then what goes wrong in our lives? Why do we, why do we give in to temptation? Why? What goes wrong? And I, and I think it's not anything complex. I think what goes wrong is, is we just get in the way sometimes. In other words, in the short term, we really do want the material thing. We really do want to be CEO of the world. We really do sometimes get kind of cynical about God and, and, and ask God to do for us what we probably should have been doing for ourselves all along. And, and when we give into those temptations, we get in the way of the spirit that would have been there all along, longing to bless us and fill us. So you see, the story is, is a powerfully good one for you. Because it isn't just said of Jesus. The Holy Spirit can come upon you. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's gifted to you. And, and maybe all you have to do is, is don't get in the way of it. Don't let your own cynicism get in the way. Don't let your own desire for stuff or whatever it is get in the way. How do you not do that? And then you're back to stuff like this. I mean, we all give in to temptation, let's face it. Um, but one of the things that keeps us out of it is when we invest in our God and when we invest in each other. And we can invest in our neighbor who's right next to us by caring for each other and visiting each other and praying for each other. And we can also invest in somebody who's seven hours away by plane, um, but she's gone from one pig to four, and, and that's an amazing blessing. She's gone from four dentures in her mouth in the other picture to just two. These are investments that change you and me as well as the people who receive the blessing. It's interesting that, that Luke's version of this temptation story ends with what line? That the devil departs from him until when? An opportune time. In Luke's gospel, does it ever come? It doesn't. The disciples are tempted. They make a lot of mistakes. But Jesus, 
from this point on, um, he sustains and, and withstands all the stuff that comes at him. Maybe because he just didn't get in the way of it. Pray for, pray for getting out of your own way this week. Uh, pray for me to get out of my own way this week. Uh, it's, it's the gift that we can all pray for each other. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit that keeps us pointed at the people around us and distant from us. Um, because there never actually needs to be an opportune time. And instead, may you recognize you live in an awesome time, a time where you truly are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's true. It's done. I love the title to this next song. It's so simple and it's so very true. I just want Jesus to walk with me. 325 on your screens. Let's stand as we sing it together. I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me. All along my pilgrim journey, Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. My trials, Lord, walk with me. In my trials, Lord, walk with me. 